Max Gorlin, Melbourne Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cotchin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell from the Hawthorne Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, MJ from the Coaches Panel. Nice to have you back. June 11th, that is when your fantasy footy year gets to get back underway. So around about two weeks, depending on when you're listening to this episode, is when footy is back for 2020. However, between now and then, here at the Coaches Panel, been giving you regular updates who both Kane and I think are the best keeper league prospects. And Kane's joining me. And Kane, this was a, a labor of love and again it's ultimately about starting a conversation about keeper leagues but it was done through the premise of between round one and two one of the great fun things we love about fantasy footy is just the kind of outlet it gives us in some pretty craziness in, into our lives and really we, we've been advocating a whole throughout this whole period if you're not in a keeper league start one up because it's one of the most fun things you can do as a fantasy coach oh absolutely mj and there's no better time like you said when there's no actual games you know, you can have a slow draft and really take your time. And especially in a keeper league where these decisions last more than one year. So there's no better time to start one, think about it. And that's what we've tried to do with this list. And so between round one and two, we've been trying to give you who we believe are the most valuable prospects to go and pick up in a brand new keeper league. If you've been a part of our Patreon army, you've been getting regular articles and in-depth deep diving podcast on every single one of the players inside our 50. And if you join our Patreon army throughout the month of May or June at any tiered level, you'll be able to get access and visibility to every single one of these players, as well as some additional other content and chances to win prizes, cash leagues, whole heap of other stuff. So certainly encourage you to go and check that out. All the links are at coachespanel.tv. However, if you can't join, that's okay. We're still giving you these little wrap-up episodes where we look through bunches of seven players at a time. And when we last left you, we were at number 30 with Jack Crisp. Let's go to the forward line because in at 29, we had the young, very talented Sydney forward, Isaac Heaney. And although he probably hasn't quite hit the heights, Kane, that coaches might have hoped he would have, he's still a highly, highly valued own player in keeper leagues. Oh, absolutely, MJ. And I think the reason for him sort of dipping in some people's radars is that he has regressed the past three seasons, albeit ever so slightly, from 92 to 90. And then last year, 89 points. But the thing that we spoke about so deeply in the podcast is the beauty of Heaney is he's a consistent forward every year Mm. and one that doesn't rely on massive midfield numbers to produce these premium scores. So it's something to factor in that if this is sort of the role he's got and he keeps this going forward, he's probably going to be a 90 guy is almost his, you know, on average for the next five years, that will probably be his score at worst. And that's what's so exciting about him. The difficulty is everyone wants that player that has the potential to go a hundred plus. And it's just really hard to do in the role that he plays in that Sydney side. And so much so they've recruited more midfielders to fill that role as opposed to, another forward. And, and as a result, Heaney's going to probably spend even more time in that forward line. We speak about Ollie Florent, James Rowbottom, and as recently as last year, Dylan Stevens, all yeah. of which, you know, Stevens hasn't had much of an opportunity yet, but Rowbottom and Florent look like they're going to be serious players in yeah. that engine room. So when you've got guys that have been recruited to play midfield and Heaney's so competent in the forward line, it's hard to see him leaving there anytime soon. To be able to get a player of his ability um, to deliver through the forward line 
uh, is so valuable. Yes, they love Will Hayward playing that Adelaide Tom Lynch style link up player. They've got Tom Papley, who's a, a really crafty forward through there. Then when it looks for who's going to be taking those marks for them inside forward 50, unfortunately for Sydney over the past couple of years, both Reed and Franklin, they've never been able to get many games out of them at the same period of time, even as early as now as we talk about this episode. But he's done a hamstring and he's going to miss at least three or four games of football once it actually returns, if not anymore. So what Heaney brings to the side, the great value that he brings, if we take it out of a fantasy mindset for a second, is he's such a difficult matchup forward. His ability to take marks overhead for, for a player of his size is really elite. And where does he add the most value to the side? Is he good inside the clinches as a player at stoppage? Yeah, he's actually really, really good there. However, I think he's of most value to them as a forward while not losing that midfield rotation. So I, I think arguably, while we'd love him to turn into a 105 midfielder, you could build a case that a player that can go 90 and push into that hundreds, albeit with a limited ceiling, might be equally, if not marginally more valuable than a hundred mid. Yeah, well, it seems to be, MJ, if you look at the just value, that usually you have to add, depending on the year, anywhere between 10 to 15 points to a back or forward to get the equivalent value in the midfield. So really, taking that into consideration, even if it's the low end, Heaney as a 90 forward is already the equivalent of 100 mid. Yeah. The beautiful thing about Heaney is that he's a consistent year-on-year forward. The problem with most keeper leagues is, a lot of the best forwards, which you've mentioned most episodes, but even last year, Boak, Dunkley, Tim Kelly, James Warple, they're not forwards the following year. So it's actually yeah. really hard to build that structure in your side year yeah. on year. But that's where Heaney comes in is that he is a 90 guy and he's also a forward every year. So again, you don't want to have a year where you've already got a good midfield the next year. While it's great to have a Dunkley, a Boak and a Warple in there, now, all of a sudden, your forward line is really exposed. And that's where Heaney, being a consistent forward, is so, so valuable. We've given it, obviously, tons of weight on this list. Yeah, no, I agree. If you want to get more about our thoughts about Isaac Heaney, he's inside our top 30 rankings in terms of a prospect ranking, not a draft positional ranking. And that's not, not what this is. It's not a, here's our guide for how you should draft inside your top 50. Everyone drafts differently in keeper leagues. Some love to get those young, talented players really, really early. Others like to go and get the established premiums, even if they're only going to get two, three, four years out of them. They want to get that win and that premiership on the board. So it's not a rankings of how you should draft. Rather, it's who we think are the best prospects. And as we speak about an older player, uh, one of those potential older players is Patrick Dangerfield. One of, if not, I think he is the oldest player on our list at 30 years old. And although he may be in the twilight of his career, even at 30 years old, we're getting some fantastic performances out of Paddy Dangerfield. And that's the hard thing, MJ, with a list like this. We have to factor in, you know, if you're going for a premiership, obviously Dangerfield skyrockets up this list. And with Tim Kelly gone, the numbers pre-Tim Kelly at Geelong, it's 117, again, 0.1 under 118 and 120. So if we're talking, if Dangerfield goes back to that, with Tim Kelly out of this side and he assumes that extra midfield responsibility again. Now, all of a sudden you're looking at a guy that's in the top three to four best midfielders in the competition. Obviously the last two years with Tim Kelly, he's dipped 106 and 107, but those numbers are still very, very good. And when he was playing that role, he was so close to even retaining forward status this year, again yeah. this year. So 
when you factor that in, we just spoke about with Heaney, you've almost got to give 10 extra points to a forward. So if something happened and, for instance, Dangerfield play forward the first half of this year, which we've seen him do actually in the past, play enough forward to gain the status and then pivot or just as he can do, get on a hot run. Yeah. You could be genuinely looking at 120 forward in the back half of the season when the season is on the line and you're trying to close it out and win the premiership. So that's why he's so valuable because there's not many guys that can be such a damaging player yeah. in those important moments in a season. And if we look at that best case scenario, there's not many best case scenarios better than what Patrick Dangerfield can do for you. Absolutely. As a midfielder, and if he plays through the midfield, he's going 110 plus. Like, I don't care what anybody says. Even at 30, he's going 110 plus for you. Opposite, he plays a little bit of that split forward. Well, he should regain that forward eligibility for you, whether it be this year or a future year. And you've got a guy that's going to go around that 105 marker and is in contention for, even if it is only two or three more seasons beyond this, as the top forward across there. And then throw in on top of all of that. Is he just doesn't miss games. He has played 96% of games available over the past four years. So even though we do see often with Dangerfield dragging himself off the bottom of the pack sore, or we see an opposition player lining him up to be add some physical pain to his body, he just finds a way to score ton after ton, to get up after contest after contest and go again. And so why he does have some nicknames amongst others as drama field, I think we've got to tip our hat to Paddy Dangerfield that he's incredibly durable with, through his body. He's incredibly consistent with how frequently he hits a ton, regardless of how much his midfield or forward split is there. And then to top it off, you look at where Geelong's list is at. They've got another... This is the last year. We'll see the GOAT of Gary Ablett play. Harry Taylor's probably in a similar position in his final year. Selwood's maybe got one or two beyond this, similar with Tom Hawkins. These are generational players for the Geelong Football Club. They've got some good kids rising up. Parfit, Narkel, Cockatoo, Constable, all bubbling away with role-playing opportunities. The time is now for Geelong. While they've got Ablett, Selwood, Dangerfield among those tall players... They've just got to pull the trigger and have a crack at a flag. Yep, there's some big teams to take on against. They've got a good fixture now that we know for these next four or five games. I think for them, Paddy Dangerfield's going to get released back into the midfield. Yeah, I'd, I'd be shocked otherwise, MJ. And no one is better at rebuilding as they go and finding value deep in the draft and, and giving them important roles in a side. You, look, you just have to look where they selected Tom Stewart in the draft. Yeah in their own backyard. There's not many clubs that are better at finding them and also developing them. So I feel like for the rest of Dangerfield's career, they genuinely believe they have a chance to win the premiership. Yeah. Minor premiers last year, clearly it didn't work out in the end. But every year, I think they start the season thinking, we're in that group of five or six teams yeah. that can genuinely win the flag. And as I said, a lot of the time in a keeper league, you're balancing that risk and reward. Hmm. And as I said, Dangerfield's reward you can see that scenario playing out perfectly. They start him off the season in the midfield, or they start him off in the forward line, I should say. He gets that status. Yeah. He pivots into the midfield at the end of the season, and he's back to his 120 ways as a forward. And yeah, just have to factor that scenario in because these things happen a lot, especially for a guy that was only a few percent away from retaining his forward status last year. Yeah, no, I think so. You, you talk about risk and reward. The player we listed in at number 27 is someone that's definitely got that. 
Taylor Adams. Not many players have seasons where they've hit the 110 marker. However, Tay-Tay, he did that back in 2017. 15 scores over 100. Um, I think 13 of them were over 110 and six over 130, including his career high 151. Um, and he did something that he hasn't done beforehand and unfortunately hasn't done since, but he played 22 games. So anyone that has done a 110 plus average over 22 games, regardless of what hasn't gone right over their career, as a fantasy coach, you need to sit up and pay attention to that. Oh, you have to, MJ. And funnily enough, that season, he was a defender as well. So if you're looking at who was the most valuable player that season, he was right in contention with Tom Mitchell because you just don't get guys that do that. And like you said, the problem is that he's only played 22 games once. And unfortunately, it's not like those other seasons are 20s and 21s. There's a lot of 14s, 18s, and his two other 100-plus seasons are a 101 and 102, and he played 18 and 14 games respectively. So you're going to your bench a lot if you've got Taylor Adams in your team. So as we spoke about on the podcast, if you have a player like Taylor Adams who's consistently missing this much footy, again, one in every four weeks, he's not going to be there for you. And that's over a four-year period. Mm. You've got to support that in in your draft strategy. You've probably got to take that extra mid because you're going to have to lean upon them a lot more than other coaches in the league. And we just can't write him off just yet, MJ, because he hasn't had that continuity of his body. Yeah. But he shows glimpses every time he's out there. Clearly, last year was one of his worst seasons just on the numbers. 10 games, an average of 95. But really, there was just one shocker in terms of performance, which was a 56. And then he suffered an injury halfway through a game. And while you can't rule out injuries for a guy that sustains so many, he's really only burning you for that one or two weeks. And the other times, he's a 105 type of guy. So while it sucks for that one or two weeks, across the whole season, it's not a salary cap. It's not hurting you across the whole season for your collective points. It's stinging you in that matchup. Yeah. But that means that the rest of the time, you, you do have a 105 type of guy at your disposal. And that's why it makes him so hard to judge because the best is, you know, top 10 on this list best. Yep. But then the worst is really hard because you don't have him for half the season. Yeah. It's true. Look, his back end to last year, a 111, 97, 98, 99, 123 is how he ended the season. There's some peaks and troughs in there. Some of those are injury impacted games. I suppose the one positive about Taylor is it's not one recurring part of his body or one recurring injury that's continually letting him down. It's to be fair, maybe it's oversimplifying it. It's just a bit of bad luck in terms of so much different type, like a hamstring, an in, a corky, a concussion, a, a, you know, a hand-related injury, just some of the things that caused him to miss last year. So I, I think you always need to look for the guy in a keeper leagues. Well, I agree totally with that strategy of mitigating the risk. Take the guy with the upside. Take the guy that's got the potential to score 110. And it's not potential that I think if everything goes right, he should get there. It's We know that if he can get that continuity in his body, he's the 105, 110 plus midfielder. And to get guys that can hit that territory, man, that's really hard to get. And as we move to number 26, we see a guy who's had very similar concerns through his body, but last year and then moving through the preseason this year, and again, one game of data this year, is a guy that when he's got himself fully fit and firing, we know he's a 105-plus midfielder. We're talking about Adelaide's Brad Crouch. 
Well, that's it, MJ. And that's the difference I've got between Brad Crouch and Taylor Adams is, like you said, Adams' injuries are all over the place. You mentioned all the different ways he gets hurt. The difference with Brad was it was one thing he just couldn't get right. The great thing was going into last season, he came out confidently and said, I feel the best I've ever felt. Mm. I think we've got to the bottom of it. I've had enough time to strengthen the areas I need to strengthen. And like you said, he delivered on that potential we'd been expecting he would show for a long time. Just under 108 points, 15 tons. And we love mentioning the actual footballing. Club yeah. best and fairest for the Crows. Again, that's a super impressive, super impressive campaign. And I'd have to think that having another preseason under his belt like he's got, we're only going to see him you know, really establish himself as a consistent 105 to 110 guy. Again, the, the injuries are incredible. When you look at it, you know, in the past, he's missed two whole season. That's yeah. really, really scary. But I think you have to take a lot of um, confidence from the way he's speaking about his body and obviously what he displayed. That score with 22 games behind him for Brad is just massive. Yeah. No, we, we have seen it over years with him. If you look back in 2017, um, from the 17 games he played, 11 tons and only four games all year dropping below 90. Last year, you talk about that year, just missing that 108 seasonal average. And in addition to those 15 tons, is he had just two scores all year where he dipped below 90. So I think, you know, and I think he ended up ranking like seventh um, for total points and 11th for averages through midfielders last year. That's how, how good of a scorer that he is. And so again, you're getting a guy that's a top 10 average and there and thereabouts in terms of total points, if not more, outside of these opening two, even potentially outside of the opening three rounds because coaches get scared off with that injury history. What I think is my concern about Brad, and yes, maybe the, the similar point of draft of the additional midfielders as an insurance policy for Brad, Sure, I think Taylor's got a little bit more concern there with constant year in, year out. I feel there's a bit more continuity with Brad coming off the 22 games and looking strong through there, given, as you said, he's, he's got over that one continual injury through the groins. Um, what I like about Brad is, is his consistency as hundreds. What I'd love to see elevate a little more is he, his career high score is just a 133. And so while he's right in that range of sort of 90 to one. 15, 120 most weeks. What he isn't is that guy yet. He hasn't hit that uber elite status yet where he's going to get the 140, the 150, not just to win your matchup, but to do it and to do it regularly. Yeah, that's the thing, MJ, that for mine, what I've seen so far, I'd be shocked if Brad became a consistent 110 plus averaging guy. And, yeah. it, and it's for that reason. When you have a career high score of 133, you have to have that floor. The yeah. problem is just going by season, it's very hard to keep that floor year in and year out. So mm -hmm. to offset that, you'd love to see Brad, you know, have the ability to go 140 plus. And if you want to be that consistent, you know, 110 to even 115 guy, multiple times a week, you know, multiple times a year, usually every third week is about what those super, super top guys do in terms of a 130 plus. Yeah. The great thing was last year, he did have seven scores between 122 and 132. Yes, so yeah. it's not a, what we'd call a ceiling sort of game, but it's a very good score he's given you pretty much a third of the time. Yeah. The interesting part with BMJ is his value is going to probably swing around or two depending on how he goes this year. Yeah, if he correct. puts another 
this year, 17 games with a shortened season. Yep. Now, all of a sudden, those injury concerns don't really, don't really bother. Yeah, they don't really bother coaches. Conversely, if he has another setback, now the risk becomes really hard because you don't, you don't want to spend this high pick that you'll have to spend on him if he's only going to be playing you know, every other year. Yeah. That's really tricky. Yeah, it's an interesting one to see in 12 months' time if we were to do this list again. Has Brad elevated himself on the list, retained his position, or dipped away a little bit? When he's on the field, we know he's a really, really good performer. We're moving into the number 25 spot. Um, speaking of a player that's on the field, this player, 99% availability in the past four-year window that we've looked at, and it's Brisbane Lion, Lockie Neal. He's a fascinating player to look at in keeper leagues, Kane. Um, 11 tons last year, a seasonal average of 104.7, coming off the back of averages of 100, 100, and 111. I suppose straight out of the gate, while it's, it's you know best season at Brisbane, only season, second best ever fantasy footy year, we're seeing one big standalone season in 2016. Is that an out-of-the-box year? Or, or is that just everything went his way? Or is he closer to that 100 to 105 kind of guy? What's your read on Lockie Neal? Well, I, I have him pegged as closer to 100 guy than 110. Again, I do believe that 2016 season, which is his PB of 111, everything went right. And what I mean by that is, Nat Fife went down. I think he played five games for the season. Yeah. And if you just watch the game, which I think sometimes as coaches we do like to put to the side or it's just hard to watch. But if you watched him that year, he was doing what we'd say Tom Rockliffe does better than anyone else. He was working hard to that back pocket for that, for that mark because he was the midfield that year. Yeah. And if you look at his numbers, that season, 33 and a half touches, four marks, four and a half tackles. And again, I thought he was pretty impressive last year, but it just shows how, how many touches 33 and a half is. It's he had 31 last year. And that's pretty much the only real difference between his seasons. He's a massive handballer, which, which makes it really tricky. Yeah. And, he's, and he's shown that he's susceptible to the tag. That's the tricky thing. We spoke about the way Brad Crouch gets his 108. Yeah. Well, the way Lockie Neal does it is the complete opposite. Yeah. Lockie Neal last year, he had multiple... 120, 130 plus score. And he started the season with three 135 plus in the first four weeks. But yeah. when you couple that with multiple 70s, that's where it gets really tricky. And funnily enough, he missed the DeBoer tag because Matt DeBoer was out of the side and he had a 134. So he didn't even get to face the best, the best tagger, tagger which, yeah. is, which is, if you looked at anyone else's scores, dragged down a lot of really good players' average by three to four points across the whole year. That's how much Matt DeBoer neutralized those guys. So when I look at Lockie Neal, I just don't know where he can go up. As I said, maybe he has another season where he goes 33 disposals. Sure. But as you outlined, MJ, when I look at those seasons back to back to back, and you reeled off five there, three of them are within one point of each other, and they're around the 100 to 101 mark. There's that 111, and there's the 104.7 last year. Maybe at Brisbane, that is where he consolidates himself. Sure. But I'd be, I'd be a lot more confident saying it's the 100 to 105 range as opposed to the 105 to 110. And the beautiful thing, like you mentioned, is the availability is near impeccable. Yeah. And that's a huge, that is a huge win because it, we mentioned with Taylor Adams, you don't want to have to go into that bench 
even on a guy like Neil, even if you've got a good bench, you're probably still losing a minimum 15 points. Again, not many people have a 90 guy as their bench. eighth mid. That's still yeah. pretty hard to rely on. And that doesn't even factor in other injuries. So Neil's availability is amazing. And he does have the ability to go on runs. Yeah. And he can go on huge runs. The hard part is to balance that. He has some periods where he's really quiet. Yeah, I think if you were to look at his year, you know, it comes out of the gate. 146, 135, 139. That's ceiling. So we know he's got it. And he's got a frequency of it there. But he also has a frequency where it doesn't happen. Because last year between round 5 and 14, just the three tons and an average of 92.4. We talk about Brad Crouch. Again, this sounds negative, but it's more because in a sec, we want to tell you where he's going in often in keeper leagues and where, why we think he's back uh, outside of the top 20 selections. Last year, in terms of lower scores, he had four scores below 80 and an additional three in the 80s. Contrast that to the player we had just before him in Brad Crouch. He had only two scores below 90 all year. So Brad's got a bit more of a consistent floor about him. Neil's got the higher ceiling. But you're going to get more scoring deviation week in, week out. Now, they're different players. One's an elite clearance player and a first-touch player, and that's the role he needs to play. Lions, Zorko, McCluggage, they're able to do all the other stuff. But he's also going to be the first player sat on, as opposed to Crouch being probably the second or third in line. Yeah, well, MJ, let's put it this way. Without Matt DeBoer, he scored a 134 against the Giants. Matt DeBoer went to him in the final. He scored a 58. So if we, if we just factor that in, 80-point swing. If you took 80 points off his home and away season, let's just do real rough maths and say you're dividing it by four. You know, mm. 80 points across the 22 games. If I said to you that average is now, you know, three and a half points less, it's back in that 101 range. Mm. Again, he... he Caught a break with DeBoer out of the side. And maybe it'll happen again, or maybe DeBoer will go to a Zorko. But year on year, he will get good taggers coming his way. And he's yeah. shown that he is susceptible to it. Again, incredible stoppage player. My main critique is not that 100 is a bad score. No. It's the fact that people draft Lockie Neal with the aspiration that he's a 110 guy. And that's why I think people get into trouble with a Lockie Neal is that they draft him with that expectation of 110. And he's all of a sudden, he's a 100 guy, and he's not. So that's why I think we've got him pegged a little lower. He, he definitely will go earlier than we have him on this list because yeah. there's just an affinity for a guy that an amazing footballer, and his availability really jumps out. Yeah, no, I think so too. A uh, couple more players to go left before we're going to wrap up this episode. And again, if you want to check out the, the deep dive articles and podcasts, player specific, uh, you can go and join up our Patreon army. All the links are at coachespanel.tv. In at number 24, and I, I'll be honest, I really wrestled with where I was going to put this guy, but we kind of settled to put Max Gorn in at number 24. Now, to be fair, I reckon he's gone before this point in the draft. Um, I think he is. And maybe he could be a couple of spots higher. And I'd definitely listen to that argument. But while it was a pretty poor season from the Demons last year, Max was one of the few Demons that could really hold his head high. And last year, man, he was phenomenal across the format for us. Well, yeah, he's just established himself, MJ, as one of the best Ruckman. Again, an average of 111, just shy of his you know, career high. But he had a 50 against Brisbane. You know, where he was injured and he battled on the rest of the game. So besides that, there was only one game where he played the full game that he failed to score 19. It was round one when 
Port Adelaide put together an incredible game plan and executed it beautifully with Scott Lysett and Paddy Ryder. Yeah. But outside of that, it's, it's pretty ridiculous that in his 19 injury-free games after round one, he got 16 tons and nine of them were 120-plus. Like, not many leagues have captains on, but if you do, there's no more reliable than him. He is so reliable at at least giving you a triple-figure score. Yeah. And, and, and again, we, we talk about the ruck line. And while, yes, you can absolutely get solid 80-odd averaging rucks with a 10-point deviation either side, very, very late in your draft. It is that one line where you're going to get three, maybe four rucks, if you're lucky, that can average 100-plus or, or there and thereabouts. And week in, week out, when you look at your matchups against who you're playing in your keeper league, you're always looking for the where can I get a marginal gap on my opponent and in the rucks if you have a player like max gorn unless they have a grundy a, a wits occasionally an o'brien every now and then a goldie matchup goes well too you're feeling really confident that you could have anywhere from a 20 to a 50 point gap in that one positional spot and while that might not be enough to win you a game to know that in one line you're going to be for the most part against everyone for a few more years getting an advantage with the ceiling he has, it's huge because he's given us premium midfielder numbers in, in a line where you're only going to get two or three a year that can do it. Yeah, that's the thing, MJ. The, the Rucks naturally are a super volatile line, but three of Gorn's last four seasons, you look at that, look at 2016, 18 and 19, taking out 17 where he had a severe hamstring injury. He's played 65 of 66 games yeah. at an average of 109.7. So the reason people like to wait on rucks is that one year a ruck can be great and the next year he's 15 to 20 points less. So a lot of people outside of these top few like to wait, but Gorn's proven that I am a 110 guy every year and I do not miss games. And you've got him in the peak of his career, 29 years old this year. You can bank on a minimum two, likely three. And then even those last two after that, you're probably still getting a 90 odd guy and, a lot of coaches just don't like the stress of having to worry about that ruck position every year, MJ, because it yeah. can be a real headache if you don't have a good one. Yeah, it's one of those things that when you're looking for long-term security and structure in your side, Max Gorn's going to help you get there. On the opposite side, if you find yourself out of contention and maybe you want some of those younger rucks that we've talked about earlier through the 50, the Marshalls, the Englishes, man, not only are you going to get those players for Max Gorn, you're probably going to get another top-line premium or a highly talented kid. So even if for you, you go, look, he's a little bit older than the way I like to draft at 29 years old. What he is going to do is, like you said, over the past two seasons, his combined 65 of 66 games and a two-year combined average of 109.7 through those two seasons. So look, for me, even if he's quote-unquote too old for you, or you don't feel he's a part of your long-term strategy build, even to pick him off early in the draft, chances are late in the year, if someone's gone and got a, I don't know, a Sam Jacobs or a Reese Stanley um, as their ruck and they're looking to get a finals advantage, to be able to bring someone like a 110 plus ruckman in, coaches would pay big, big trade offers to be able to secure him. So even if it's outside of what you like to do as a list build normally, I'm not opposed to someone drafting him purely for his trade value. Well, yeah, again, it gets to a point in the draft, MJ, where 
you have to just say this person is way too valuable not to pick. And as you said, it might not be for your plan. Yeah. But sometimes, like you said, you hold on to a player, the stars align and it might work out for you or otherwise you go into that back half of the year and someone says, I don't really want to give up this really good kid, mm. but you know what? I'm a chance to win it right now and I'm going to go all in. And that's where you can get massive value back the other way with players that do fit your strategy. So again, I wouldn't just be crossing Max Gorn off because you think he's a bit too old. Anytime you've got a 110 proven year in and year out, yeah, it's hard to resist. It certainly is. We talk about a guy that's a little bit old in some people's mind and, and he's proven. This, this one's hard because I reckon we've placed Nat Fife in at 22, which we can guarantee people will pick Gorn ahead of Fife in almost every draft. If it was Supercoach, super maybe a little bit more of a conversation. But, but certainly, this has been one of those ones where we've got the most, sorry, explain that one for us. And we will in, in just a second because there's a big reason why for us we value and, and rate him so highly. But when we talk about Nat Fife as a fantasy footballer, he does not get the credit that he actually deserves. Last year, inside the top 15 midfielders in terms of where he was ranked last year, 14 scores are over 100. Half of those were over 120. He's got a great high frequency and ceiling of tons, a career high 150. There's been a lot of knocks on Nat Fife as a fantasy footballer that he just doesn't get you those big scores. But I just don't think that's true. I think he does. Yeah, well, I was critical of Neil saying that he gets drafted as a 110 guy and he's more of a 100 guy. I feel like the opposite is true for Nat Fife. Again, people peg him as just a low 100 guy. Again, last year, he's had a career-high average of just under 105. Had a concussion-affected game in there that was a 106. As you know, MJ, there's been seasons where he's been 110 until an injury really drops that average. And as I mentioned before, in a, in a keeper league, You've only got to worry about your matchup one week. Yeah, it sucks that, that Fife is often injured in a game. And sure. for one week, that really stings you. So for one week, you're probably going to have a 40 on the field or a 50 on the field. For those other 19, you've got a 107, 108 type of midfielder. Yeah. So if you can put up with one week of pain that may or may not come, and in some leagues, if you have the 30% or whatever threshold you use to get your emergency score, all of a sudden that injury concern mid-game goes out the window with five. Yeah. So I feel like Pete just gets pegged at 100 because he hasn't done it. But I get the feeling that it's just around the corner. Yeah. If he can just put that season together, he's so damaging. And I think the thing that we've factored in that a lot of people don't give as much weight is he's going to age beautifully to keep a league, MJ. Yeah. He's going to go forward and he's going to be a 90 guy. And his value, while his scoring might dip, his value will remain exactly the same. Yeah, I think so. And again, like I said, most people aren't going to put him this highly in where they would draft him in a brand new keeper league. And that's okay. What we think about Nat Fife is while the numbers haven't yet done it, I believe he's a 110 guy. Yes, he's not had much luck with his body. Will he ever? Maybe, maybe not. And that's okay. What's added weight value for us through here is we'll probably get another year or two of him being the dominant midfielder, holding that Fremantle midfield together to give the guys like Sarong, Brayshaw, Chera, amongst others, that opportunity to develop their bodies, develop their tank. Acres is another that can be thrown and rolled through there along with Conker. But then 30, 31, 32, 33, Nat Fife's going to drift beautifully into that position that a Dusty Martin is starting to play already, which is impacts through the midfield 
but becomes so difficult and damaging through that forward line to become really difficult to match up. Is he too high for you in the rankings or others? Maybe he isn't. And that's okay. What this is all about is starting the conversation. And we think that Nat Fife, while for you, he might be too high in the list and that's okay. Um, we think he's a 110 mid, although he hasn't delivered it yet. And when he does move forward, he'll get DPP. And that is a highly valuable thing. And then I think added to it is he's a name. And we talk about other players that will come throughout the list to come. To come. Patreons, you already know who we're alluding to here because you're a little ahead of the curve. Um, but there are players that people draft on name value alone or pay too much for um, because of name value alone. And I think someone like a Nat Fife has some great trade commodity just because he's a two-time Brownlow medalist. Yeah, well, that's it, MJ. There's always going to be someone that wants to have him in their team. And the good thing as well is that it's not like Fife is becoming less durable as he's aging. Again, yeah. it's, it's similar to Taylor Adams in the sense that it's often just random almost injuries. Last year, 20 games was the second most he's paid in his career. If that was gradually trending downwards, you might be a bit more concerned. But yeah. as I said, it, his main thing last year was that he copped a concussion against St. Kilda and missed the next week. So I don't feel like he's, he's given the credit he deserves. As I said, he doesn't have that. 110 to his name and maybe that's why maybe that's what hurts him people like looking at the past and saying yeah yep neil's got that 110 brad now has that really high seasonal average but the thing about keepers is you've always got to be looking forward and projecting forward yeah and when i see a guy that produced his career best year last year with a concussion affected game yeah. and he's still clearly at the top of his footballing game winning the brown medal last year i just feel like a 110 season is still on the cards for Nat Fife, even though he is 29. Again, I, don't think, I think it's safe to say, MJ, that Travis Boak hasn't made our list, but we know last year yeah. what he did. It, he produced his career best year last year at 30. Yeah. And for much of the year, he was the number one forward. So just because a player gets to close to 30 doesn't mean they can't produce the goods. It's about watching them play. And if you've watched Nat Fife play, he is still well and truly at the top of his game. Everybody chooses to draft, uh, especially inside their first five to 10 picks uh, with different strategies in mind. There is always going to be some coach that goes, I, I want the young kid that I think is going to be a stallion for me for the next 10 years. You want the Smith, the Bailey Smith, that is. Uh, I want the Connor Rosie. I want the Sam Walsh. I want these long-term superstars of, of the competition. And everything suggests that they'll all be very, very good fantasy players. However, when you come to those opening handful picks in your draft, at some point, you've got to make sure you're picking guys that are going to give you a chance to win that Keeper League Premiership early on. There's no benefit just loading up on kids and kids and kids and hopeful potential and hopeful potential and hope that it all clicks. At some point, you've got to pick the guys that you know will score well, even if you do only get the premium years of two, three, four premium years. Back yourself in that you're going to spot that kid that's going to break out at some point in time. Use a pick five or six rounds later on to go and get that superstar that you think they're going to develop into. But I think when we talk about Nat Five, he's got the potential to put on a 110 year because we know if his body doesn't slow him down or a contest doesn't slow him down, that's where he's going to be. And look, for me, um, to be a contender in your first year, a player like Nat Five is going to get you there. And so, again, 
like we talk about Gorn, as your year moves on and you move yourself out of contention and you're a five owner, look to move him on. Could you turn him into a Connor Rosie and a draft pick? Could you turn him in to a Rowan Marshall and something else? These players that we've got a little bit later on in the list, but we think have got just as much scoring upside later on. That becomes a part of the strategy too. Moving on these older players at the right time, once you're out of contention, to be able to future-proof your list with longer-term scoring premiums. Well, that's it, MJ. It sounds great in theory to stash all the young players and then one year you'll have a super team, but it is so hard to do. Again, <laughs> footy is so volatile. You're better just to have a good team every year and hope that you catch fire for a month and you right. take it out. It's, it's a real tough slog to just go into every week knowing that you're not going to be very good, but you've got all these kids. Because you know what will happen? You'll have nine of the top 10 kids in the draft. The one you don't pick <laughs> will be the one that becomes the great. So it's never a bad thing in those early rounds just to pick the best players. Because like you said, then you can work either way. You can go, if I'm contending, I'm very happy I've got five. If not, you can time your and get something you are really happy with as well. So that's why sometimes you just have to take the player that is value when they present themselves instead of just going... I'll take this young kid because I want to have a team that's all under 23. Yeah. And that's like, and there's, again, everyone has a different strategy and mindset, but at the end of the day, every league coach is trying to do one thing and that's to win the premiership. Everyone's got a different mindset of when their window will be open or will not be. Even in your debut year, you win it, you win it. It doesn't matter if you're bottoming out for a couple more years to redevelop and rebuild. You know, you got to win it if you're going all in in that strategy. Absolutely, that's okay. I, I would rather own a team that I feel like most years I'm a chance in the finals to win it rather than, okay, in four years' time, I think I'm contending. Man, what a frustrating four-year build that will be. You want to be in the contention window most years and players like Fife are going to help you do that. Well, at least to start the season, MJ. Again, yeah. if it's not going your way, you can always Trade restructure mid-season and push everything to the next year. That's totally fine. There's been heaps of occasions where, you know, Tom Mitchell, someone who's clearly tons of value goes down for a premiership contender. You might have a guy that's hot and they just say, you know, I want to just keep this train going this year and give myself the best chance. So there's always opportunities that present themselves. And yeah, I feel like just Nat Fife, as we mentioned, a player that's going to transition to another line of the ground, like the Ford line, yeah. makes it a lot easier to take on some younger kids and give them time to develop because often they start as forwards. So ideally, you know, James Robottom, these type of guys that go later in drafts, who's a forward at the moment, mm. pretty easy to see Robottom in a couple of years being a solid midfielder. And then you get to swing that five forward. So again, you've always got to support just picks with other picks in the draft. Yeah, and I think that's a, a really nice way to wrap up this episode with that nugget of gold from you there, Kane. If you want to go and check out our full list that we've uh, revealed so far, Patreons, you know we're in the teens at the moment. We're a little bit further down the road. Uh, if you want to get a little bit of a, a sneak preview ahead of the public uh, viewing, uh, you can go and join our Patreon army for as little as a couple of bucks a, a month, helping support your coaches panel. All the links are at coachespanel.tv. And at every tier, there is different levels and rewards and benefits and hidden and exclusive content for you. But we promise you this, for every person that joins our Patreon army in May or June, you will get access to these daily player podcasts and articles. 
plenty of new articles, though, landing at coachespanel.tv, uh, helping prepare you for round two. And the midweek trade and strategy podcasts are about to return, as we now know, round two of footy is on the way. From everyone here at the Coaches Panel, I hope you've been safe. I hope you've been well. Uh, I hope everything in your life is going okay. And if it's not, that's okay. Keep moving forward. There's always another day to move forward into. Give it all. Now give it truth.